Welcome to this Allen and Overy podcast. My name is Lucy Aconley and I'm a senior associate in the global restructuring practice. This podcast is the first in a series of four short podcasts which take a look at the legislative framework the UK government is putting in place to ensure we have a functioning statute book on the 30th of March 2019 in the event of a hard or no deal Brexit. Joining me today to discuss the key primary legislation are Una Harrison, a senior PSL within our Brexit team, and Emma Danforth, a senior associate in our funds practice. Our second podcast will look at the concept of of retained EU law. That will be followed by a podcast looking at how financial services legislation is being onshored. And finally, the last podcast in this series will look at what legislation is required to implement the Article 50 withdrawal agreement. Emma, if I may, can I start with you? and ask why the UK government needs to legislate for, Bre- legislate for Brexit outside the legislation that will clearly be required to implement the Article 50 withdrawal agreement. Absolutely. Although before I answer your question, it's probably helpful just to set the scene a bit. Um, what you might not be aware of, and I know quite a few people aren't, is that there's actually three different agreements, all loosely called withdrawal agreements. Firstly, you've got the Article 50 withdrawal agreement between the EU and the UK, pursuant to which the UK will leave the European Union. Secondly, you've got the EU Withdrawal Act 2018, which is the UK's preparation for a hard Brexit. And then thirdly, you've got the EU Withdrawal Bill, which, if an Article 50 withdrawal agreement is agreed, is what the UK will pass to implement that. And so I think the key to kind of understanding how this works is being really clear as to which of these agreements you're talking about. In relation to your actual question, um, over the last 60 years, the EU has legislated extensively, with some 7,000 pieces of substantive EU laws now being enforced in the UK. In an ideal world, the Parliament would consider each of these in turn, consider whether they should be retained, amended or removed from the UK legal framework, but quite frankly, there isn't enough time ahead of the 29th of March 2019. As a result, Parliament has done basically a big fudge, and that's in the EU Withdrawal Act 2018. And in that agreement, they sought to retain all of the EU law that applies immediately before Brexit in order to provide continuity and avoid unintended consequences that could arise with revisions being made in short timeframes. Thanks, Emma. Una, could you provide a quick overview of what the EU Withdrawal Act is and what it does? Yes. Despite what appears to be last minute preparations, uh, quite frankly, from the UK and the Europeans in terms of legislation, the UK government actually did try to get everything organised ahead of time um, and ensure that there was legislation to deal with a hard Brexit. Um, Originally referred to as the Great Repeal Bill, we saw this key act introduced to the Commons on the 13th of July last year. Um, Instead of the Great Repeal Bill, its official title was the European Union Withdrawal Bill. It took almost a year to get through Parliament. Um, Anything Brexit related tends to be quite uh, highly political. Um, But the UK government finally succeeded in passing this legislation. And the bill received royal assent on the 26th of June. um, And it went on to our statute book as the EU Withdrawal Act 2018. Um, Since it received royal assent, we've now seen a barrage of secondary legislation um, because the powers allowing the government ministries to start producing those um, came into being at the end of June. But we will consider those later. Turning back to the Act itself, the Act is largely technical in nature. 
Um, and the reality is it's required to ensure that there's legal certainty, legal continuity, and quite frankly, stability um, at the point that the UK leaves Europe, assuming it is a hard Brexit that we face. As a result, the Act has three core objectives. The first one is that it will repeal the European Communities Act, which came into being in 1972, um, and it will do that on exit day. And that will bring an end to the overriding role of the EU law in the UK's legal system. The other objective is that it will re-import or what's being known as onshore into UK domestic law as a new concept, retained EU law. Most of the EU law that we deal with and which applies in the UK immediately before the 29th of March next year. And finally, in relation to core objectives, it gives the government wide powers to amend this new body of law, retained EU law, in order to correct what are being referred to as deficiencies in that law that arise from the UK's withdrawal from Europe. I think if I could chip in, I think there's three other points that's worth flagging. Um, so what this agreement also does is bring an end to the jurisdiction of the Court of Justice of the EU on exit day, a key political objective following the referendum, set out Parliament's oversight of the outcome of the government's negotiations with the EU on the withdrawal agreement under Article 50, and enable domestic law to be passed to reflect the contents of the Article 50 withdrawal agreement. Thanks, Emma. I think one thing to pull out of both what Emma and I have just said is the reference to exit day, which we both use several times. Uh, this is defined in the Act as the 11pm 11, 11 on the 29th of March, i.e. The, the point in time when the UK will uh, actually leave Europe. Um, and it's worth bearing in mind, um, whilst it's key for this act, because a number of the provisions are triggered by that date, that date will remain even if transitional um, arrangements are put in place and are ratified. Um, even if you extend out the period of time for which EU law applies, because there is a ratified transitional period, the point in time when the UK leaves Europe will always remain the same. It will always be 11pm on the 29th of March. One thing that we've hinted at, but it's probably worth just um, focusing on specifically, is that this act has been specifically drafted to deal with um, the no deal scenario. A number of changes will be required to the extent the Article 50 withdrawal agreement and the associated transitional arrangements are indeed agreed at the political level and then brought back to be ratified by the respective parliaments. Thank you both. The European Communities Act is discussed a lot in the context of Brexit. Una, if we could go back to basics for a second, um, would you explain why that act is so important? Most of us haven't considered that question since law school days. We're so used to EU law having effect in this country without needing to understand really the process that allows that to be the case, so of course. Um, if we do go back to basics, the ECA at its heart effectively gives legal authority for EU law to have effect as national law in the UK. And there are two ways in which it, it does this. Um, it ensures that certain types of legislation, we usually think of regulations in this space, um, it ensures that regulations and treaty obligations have direct effect in the UK legal system, which basically means that UK Parliament doesn't have to pass any further legislation to give effect to it. There are obviously other types of legislation, for example, directives and decisions, and they don't have direct effect. So it means that the UK actually has to pass either primary or normally secondary legislation, which brings it into our domestic law. 
The other key bit about the ECA is that it gives EU law supremacy over UK national law. Where the interpretation of EU law is in doubt, the ECA basically requires UK courts to refer judgments to the Court of Justice of Europe. All primary legislation enacted by the UK Parliament after the ECA came into force at the start of 1973 has effect, subject to the requirements of EU law. And this basically means that the courts are obliged to strike down legislation which is inconsistent with European law. Thanks, Una. So, so that is why in the context of Brexit, it is so fundamentally important that our legislation repeals that act. Exactly. But the reality is, without it, there are then gaping holes in our statute book if the UK government were to do nothing else. So whilst repealing the ECA is fundamentally important, so is converting EU law as it stands at the moment of exit into domestic law. And that's how we thereby create this new body of law, which is referred to in the Act as retained EU law. We will explore what that means, what's covered, how it's interpreted, etc. later. Thanks. We saw a lot of press coverage when the EU Withdrawal Act was progressing through Parliament. Why was it so controversial? As Una mentioned, the EU Withdrawal Act is largely technical in nature, but there are two areas that drew the most attention. And I think they're the ones that most of us will have seen in the press. The amendment that introduced the meaningful vote and the amendment requiring any withdrawal agreement to be approved by an Act of Parliament. So the term meaningful vote was thrown around a lot when the bill went through the final stages. It was an amendment included within the EU Withdrawal Act, which means that the Article 50 Withdrawal Agreement that is finalised with the EU can only be ratified if the following steps are taken. Firstly, the government must lay a copy of the Article 50 Agreement and the framework for the future relationship before each House. Second, the Commons must approve both. And third, an Act must be passed which contains provision for the implementation of the Withdrawal Agreement. The government is obliged to try and ensure that the UK Parliament votes ahead of the European Parliament, therefore allowing a window for the UK to reject the agreement and send the government back to the negotiating table. Whether that's actually a possibility, I think we'll have to wait and see. Clearly, the UK would prefer for it to be that way around, so that it's it rather than the European Parliament rejecting it first. So sorry, Emma, just backtracking a bit. What happens if Commons reject? Well, the government must make a statement within 21 days, setting out how it proposes to proceed in relation to the negotiations with the EU on withdrawal, which must then be debated in Parliament on a motion in neutral terms. And then what happens if there is no agreement in principle? So the deadline that's been set is the 21st of January 2019. And if there's no agreement in principle on the substance of the arrangements for the UK's withdrawal from the EU and on the framework for the future relationship, the government is obliged within five days to make a statement to Parliament setting out how it proposes to proceed and to make arrangements for the House of Commons to debate this statement, again on this motion in neutral terms basis. And I think just tying back to um, my opening three withdrawal agreements, to the extent that the Commons does approve the Article 50 agreement and framework, it's the EU withdrawal bill that was what Parliament's going to pass to implement the withdrawal arrangements and that will be introduced as soon as possible after the Parliament has approved the final deal. Yes, that's correct. Thanks, Emma. And I think it's probably also worth reflecting on the fact that that uh, EU Withdrawal Agreement Bill will also need to amend the EU Withdrawal Act. We're getting even more confusing with the number of withdrawal agreements, acts, etc. Um, but as I've said before, the EU Withdrawal Act contemplates a hard Brexit. 
um, and that EU law will be pulled into domestic law at the point of exit um, and thereby creating this new concept of retained EU law. But obviously, if the Article 50 withdrawal agreement um, is agreed politically, it comes back to our parliament. Uh, the Commons don't reject it. Uh, we then have a bill going through that sets out what the obligations are under that EU with um, Article 50 withdrawal agreement and the related transitionals, we will then need to ensure that the EU Withdrawal Act itself is amended. Um, otherwise, you'd have an act on the statute book which effectively pulled EU law in at the point of the 29th of March, but a political agreement that said EU law continued to apply until the end of the transitional period. So clearly, that new bill will have to reflect the changes required to make it all work consistently. Thank you both. Thank you, Una and Emma, for an informative overview. For those of you who would like to read about the background and aims of the EU Withdrawal Act in more detail, please refer to our FAQ's paper that accompanies this podcast series, and that paper can be found on the same webpage. Our next podcast in this series will look at the concept of EU retained law.